So let me say good morning again. I, I trust you guys had an opportunity yesterday to make your way to a large body of water. Yesterday was quite a scorcher. It seems like the weather is starting to turn again. I believe rain is forecast for later tonight. So as, as Joshua and Shannon are leaving to go to a different part of God's vineyard, I'd like for us to look again at what it means for us as followers of Jesus to respond to his call and to move from where we are um, and to follow him. And so I'd like us to consider this idea of going to the other side this morning. I think Jesus himself modeled for us the idea of going to the other side when he incarnated himself with us. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7 that Jesus came and he emptied himself taking on the form of a servant. And then Jesus himself said in John chapter 6 and verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who has sent me. And so if going to the other side, a side that was very different to the side that Jesus was from, is something that he did, then I think we need to be open to doing the same on a more regular basis. And so I'd like for us this morning to consider very briefly two portions of scripture that we are very familiar with, portions of scripture that have stories that have been well preached um, to help us to understand or just to look again at this idea of going to the other side. But before we read the text that I would like us to consider this morning, I just want to give a little bit of context so that we get a little bit more out of those verses that we will read. Now we all know that Jesus was from Nazareth, or Nazareth as they would have called it. It was where Joseph and Mary settled when they came back from their time of asylum in Egypt. And Jesus spent his childhood growing into a man in this little town of Nazareth. And Jesus was associated with the town of Nazareth throughout his ministry. Even at the end, as we know, Pilate placed above the cross a sign that said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. But then the Bible tells us when Jesus started his ministry around the age of 30 years old, Jesus actually left Nazareth. And he went and he lived in a city called Capernaum by the sea. So Jesus moved residents from Nazareth to Capernaum when he was about 30 years old. Capernaum, as we, we know from historical accounts, wasn't a very large town. Historians believe that it was about big enough that it housed 1,500 residents. Which, um, which isn't a lot, but compared even to Nazareth, which had about 400 residents, it was a little bit bigger. Uh, and this town of Capernaum was well known for its fishing because it's situated right on the shore of, of um, the Lake of Galilee. 
It was also a city that was revered for having um, skilled stonemasons. So Jesus would probably have done some work there as well. They had a flour grinding mill as well as um, an olive press. And so it was very much a trading village. And then they also had a really beautiful synagogue. And the ruins of that synagogue can still actually be seen today. For those who might have had the pleasure and the privilege of going there. But there's something else that Capernaum was also known for in its time. It was also the home of great Hebrew scholars. History records that some of the great sages of Jewish thinking came from this region of Capernaum. And so Jesus effectively came to settle in a town that was very biblically literate and had heard at that time the best teachers that Judaism of the time had to offer. Now, as we know in Israel's history with their walk with Yahweh, there were times when they were very close to God and then there were times when they were far and distant from Him. But scholars believe that never in the history of the Jewish people had they been more biblically literate or more determined to be faithful to Yahweh than at the moment of Jesus' appearance. So in effect, it was a time when they were now closer again to God. And so the Jews were back to being holy and set apart to the point that they wanted nothing to do with the world out there. But Jesus came to say, yes, you must be set apart and you must be holy, but there is actually a purpose that is attached to being set apart and being holy. And that purpose is over there on the other side. And this was the message that came to the Jews through Jesus. And, and John chapter 10 and verse 16 puts it this way. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And so with that as a context, I'd like us to read two texts that are very familiar in Mark chapter 4 verses 35 to 41 and then we'll read Matthew chapter 14 a few verses from there. This is what Mark chapter 4 verses 35 to 41 says. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. 
He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. We'll stop there. And then there's another text that records another story at a different time, just after Jesus had fed the 5,000. And it comes from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. This is what it says. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Oh, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. We'll stop there. Now, both of these well-known portions of Scripture mention this place that is just called in the Scripture, the other side. Now, I'd like us to consider what the significance is of this other side and what actually was, what is over there on this other side. Now, on the other side was a district, a region, that is called the Decapolis. Now, the Decapolis is a, is a, a name that means ten cities, as it was a place that had ten cities in that particular district within its borders. And it was directly opposite Capernaum in the southeast part of Galilee. Now, these ten cities of Decapolis and the surrounding region were inhabited mostly by Gentiles, not Jews. And the area had a very strong Greek influence. And so there on the other side, there was no Jewish religious, religious leadership. None of that existed on the other side. And the people there were distinctly pagan. They were living completely apart from the ways of Yahweh. They were completely opposed to the ways of the Jews. They had pagan temples. They had pagan practices. They had gods of all kinds. And they even had immorality of every kind there on the other side. And so we can imagine them being called 
by the Jews, those people. And those people live on the other side. And so in the Jewish mind, what happened on the other side was everything that God did not want them to be. And so they would have nothing to do with those people on the other side. And some of them, some of these very religious Jews, wouldn't even dare say the word Decapolis. It was that intense a feeling for them. Now for us sitting here this morning, looking back, we could say that they were wrong. We could say that the Jews of that time, they were biased, they were discriminatory, but we must understand that they wanted to do it for a godly reason. They wanted to please Yahweh. And so Jews wouldn't even enter the Decapolis unless they really needed to go there in order to remain set apart and holy unto Yahweh. And here in the scriptures that we just read are two instances that Jesus said, let's go there. Let's go to the other side, to where those people are. Now I want to make three observations, in fact maybe just two and then one challenge, and then I'll sit down. The first one is this, going to the other side will invite storms. When we look at these two stories, we see that both cases mention a, a storm, there's really bad weather at the start of the story. Now, we should not think that somehow if we faithfully become part of the mission that Jesus has entrusted to each one of us, that we are going to be escaping storms. I think we are going to be living a delusional life of following Jesus if we think that we are not ever going to face storms. I think the season we're in now is showing us that again. Now we must remember also that just like there's a kingdom of heaven with a king, there's also a kingdom of darkness that also has a king. That's actually called the prince of darkness by Paul. And we have to remember that there are forces at work wanting to prevent the kingdom from coming. As much as we are trying to build there are forces at work wanting to tear down and to destroy. Peter describes it like this in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. He says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so when I read these stories, these two stories that we just read now, I imagine... That when the forces from the other side looked across the Sea of Galilee and saw the bearers, the carriers of the kingdom of heaven coming across the water, they went to work bringing about chaos. And we read there that the wind and the waves rose against them. You see, the evil one 
will do whatever he needs to do to prevent our mission from coming to pass. And he will do that whether it's me, whether it's you, whether it's the disciples, or even whether it is Jesus himself. And so we should expect to see, if we accept this mission, to put God on display. To speak and to live words of shalom into the chaos of a broken world that you and I should expect to experience the storms that are going to be thrown at us by the evil one. Here's the second point. Those who follow the crowd usually get lost in it. Jesus summarizes most of what we have come to call Christianity in two words. And those words are, follow me. Those words are extremely loaded words when Jesus speaks them. One of the things that we have learned about some folk during this season of COVID is that for many people, church has become about coming to a building on a Sunday morning, singing a few songs, listening to a sermon, and then going home and getting on with their lives. I think that has been something that has become true in terms of how we have seen and experienced the season that we are in right now. And so for some people, church had become a box to tick. And this season of trial, as I said, has exposed it to us. And it has shown people where they really, truly stand with Jesus. Following Jesus means going to the other side. It means actually moving from where you are to go to somewhere else. And this going to the other side will require us to leave some things behind. In verse 36 of Mark chapter 4, it says, They left the crowds behind. In Matthew verse 23 of chapter 14, it says, Jesus dismissed the crowds and then he went. Following Jesus to the other side has a cost attached to it. There are some things that we are going to have to forsake. There are some things we're going to have to leave behind. And then on top of it, even being on the other side means having to deal with things that are going to make us feel very uncomfortable. Even though Jesus is with you. There are some habits, some ideas, some actions, if I think about what the Jews would have been thinking when this idea of going to the other side was presented to them. They were being challenged to leave some things behind in order to follow Jesus to go there. This is the third point, and it's a challenge. And I want us to, to hear this challenge in the context of the truth that Jesus came not only to save souls, but he came to save lives. We all know what going to the other side is going to mean for Josh and Shan. But what does it mean for us for the rest of 2022? What does, 
going to the other side mean to us? And I want to give us a practical example for it. We live in a city that is still very segregated along racial lines. And so in relation to Pinelands, there are many places that we who live here would call the other side. And when we read accounts in the Bible, like the ones that we just read, we notice that Jesus actually challenged the paradigms of his time. And one of them, I think, was that Jesus challenged Jewish nationalism. I looked up what that means. And the dictionary defines it like this. Identification with one's own nation and support for its interests, especially to the exclusion or detriment of the interests of other nations. This is something that Jesus challenged. I often wonder if Jesus had come in modern times rather than 2,000 years ago, where he would have chosen to incarnate himself. And a thought passed my mind, I wonder if, if it could have been Pinelands. And somehow I, I don't see that happening. And so here's the practical challenge. If Jesus had been born in our city of Cape Town, in modern times, would you or me be with Jesus, not in a boat, but in a taxi, on your way to the other side? To bring good news and shalom to places that others would have nothing to do with. I think when we think about where Josh and Shannon are going, they are going to be facing a lot of challenges. One of the things that I had learned about Josh is his love for people who are not like him. And Josh loves to immerse himself in those spaces. And that's something that I actually learned from him and I, I love about him. And I want to leave that challenge with us this morning, that as we go into a new season, a new year, what is it going to mean for us, even as we reflect on others who are going on a mission to what we would call the other side, what is it going to mean for us? What will it mean for you? What will it mean for me? It's something that's really personal, I believe, when we think about God calling us as individuals, as part of a body, to go and do something that's going to make us feel uncomfortable, that's going to make us feel like we shouldn't really be here. This doesn't seem like a place that is holy and set apart. But we must remember that we are bearers of the kingdom. That Jesus has called us to follow him, to be the ones who bring this good news, the shalom, into places and spaces where there is chaos. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day again that you have made and that we can rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you, Lord, that we could have spent some time this morning just speaking words of encouragement into Joshua and Shannon's lives as they take this very bold step of going to a other side. Lord, we pray for them, Lord, that as they go, as they step into that space, and we pray for ourselves as we enter into this new season, that you would show us 
doors that need to be opened and some doors that need to be closed. Father, be with us. We covet your presence in our lives as we follow you into this new season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.